it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we have all the breaking news. Uh, and we'll have everything on the elections as well. We know the president of the United States is going to be out and about, and he's going to go over to Delaware, where he's most at home. We know uh, J.D. Vance will be participating in our, with the RNC, uh, Get Out the Vote campaign. We know Warnock, Stacey Abrams, and President Obama will make remarks at Georgia. I had a big rally there. He can still attract a crowd. President Biden cannot. In Nevada, uh, Adam Laxalt, who will be on with me on Saturday night on One Nation, will host a Ladies for Laxalt Coalition. And President Biden and the vice president make remarks at a Pennsylvania Democratic third annual independence dinner. They're desperate to try to save Fetterman's candidacy because he had a stroke and he never recovered. Plus, his extreme positions make him tough, a tough sell for Pennsylvania. Jonathan Turley at the bottom of the hour. Michael Waltz next. And we do have the breaking news about Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi. This has just came across. Was attacked last night. No details, but he had to be uh, he was physically attacked. Expected to make a full recovery. We don't know any other details. We'll ride this story as long as we, until we can get all of them. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Elon Musk is now officially in charge of Twitter after a multi-billion dollar deal that he actually tried to back out of at one point. There are also reports that he's already fired the CEO and other top executives. Overnight, Musk tweeted, quote, the bird is freed. Right. Uh, Going to be interesting. How could it be worse? Elon Musk delivers on his decision to buy Twitter for $44 billion and says it will be an open civil, t- uh, an open town square, and it'll be civil for potential sponsors. What are your predictions? Number two. Great economic report today. The GDP report. Things are looking good. According to him, might as well be talking about two different countries. It's the only way I can explain the economy Joe Biden describes as compared to the one we're living in every day. And most importantly, who is responsible for the struggles we all know we're in? Number one. The Democrats thought they could run on Donald Trump and abortion. The voters keep talking about the economy and crime. And nothing in this report is going to change their narrative. And that, at the end of the day, is their dilemma. Tightening everywhere. That is the state of the game for 2022. It's also safe to say the Dems are beginning to panic on the Senate, which virtually uh, all chances of keeping the House uh, have dimmed entirely. We will preview the closing arguments. And with me right now is Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman, what would it mean to you to be in the majority? How different is your job? Uh, yeah, Brian, it's it's night and day. And, and it's, a, it's even a bigger deal than it is in the Senate. In the Senate, a lot of the the senators have individual authorities and yeah. powers that we don't have in the House. Uh, everything, I just want people to understand, any bill to even get a vote has to go through the Speaker's office. Uh, they, there is just a lot more concentration of power uh, with the majority in the House of Representatives. And, and I, am, I am counting the days 
to fire Nancy Pelosi and uh, and to, to actually be in the majority and drive an agenda. Uh, listen, uh, the question is, if you if, when you get the majority, the question is, we have another chamber to work with. Have you had meetings, high level meetings about how to approach this if it's a split? Uh, if it's a situation where the Senate belongs to Democrats and the House belongs to Republicans, and if it's not, do you guys have a game plan? Well, look, I think if it's not, um, the, you know, if we don't get the Senate, which I, I believe we're going to, and, you know, happy to talk to you about those races. Yeah, there's seven races within the margin of error, yeah. they say. Seven races. I Look, but I think you've got to look at the other associated races, Brian. I, I think Kemp will uh, pull Herschel Walker uh, over the finish line. I think Carrie Lake. Uh, has a great chance of pulling uh, Blake Masters over over the finish line. Laxalt, uh, I think, is going to do it. I was just out in uh, Vegas. What I'm worried about is Pennsylvania. I just don't see so many split voters with Mastriano down by nine points that are then going to, you know, flop over and and vote for Oz. But it could happen. Um, you know, the the debate was was scary, frankly. Uh, uh, going forward. But I, I think we're in good shape to take the majority in both. If we don't, though, uh, in the House with a split Congress and, and Biden still in the White House, it will be focused on accountability for Afghanistan, origins of COVID, Hunter Biden, the border, uh, you know, parental rights and, and parents being labeled as terrorists. You know, we'll just have to get to the bottom of those issues, which the American people want us to do. Uh, and focus on 24. If we get the Senate, uh, we are still going to have to win over because of the filibuster some some Democrat senators for our policies, uh, and you know that that'll be the challenge before us. Uh, that will be true. Uh, and you know, winning over some Democrats, it's really Mansion Cinema. Those are the only ones who have proven somewhat pliable and, and uh, workable. Someone into compromise. But what I'm pretty right. amazed at is the difference with how how. President Biden does two things. He says things that are different from the facts. And the other thing is he uh, blames people. The reason why oil goes up is Putin's, uh, Putin's price hike. The reason why oil is up is Saudi Arabia tighten their belt. It's really the oil's got oil and gas are so expensive because oil and gas companies are, are trying to maximize their profits. Uh, excuse me. Uh, what about the stuff that you're doing? Listen to Joe Biden yesterday saying, look out. Whatever you do, don't put the Republicans in charge. Cut 14. These protections are gone as well if the Republicans get their way, if Kevin gets his way in the Republican Congress. Tax credits, the lower energy bills, gone. Corporate minimum tax, gone. Under the Republican plan, some big corporations are going to go back to paying zero again. That's the plan. Is that the plan? <laughs> yeah, the plan is uh, to, to hit the brakes on this massive overspending. Uh, that we've seen just in the last uh, 18 months. I mean, just to give you a sense of scale, Brian, the entire discretionary, right, that's everything outside of entitlements, federal budget, defense, border, health, all of it is $1.5 trillion. In the last 18 months, the Democrats have spent $6 trillion uh, and counting, and we haven't even passed this year's budget, so add another trillion and a half on, on top of that. Um, uh, you know, that's the first plan is we have to stop this money that is just pouring into the economy uh, and and driving inflation. And then on top of that, you know, I mean, he just lied to the American people yesterday about gas prices, said they were, you know, $5. Yeah, in fact, let's hear that. When he came and in. Michael, yeah, yeah let, let's hear that. Michael Waltz with us now. Cut 12. Today, the most common price of gas in America is $3.39. 
down from over $5 when I took office. We need to keep making that progress. What's wrong with him? I mean, that's not even close to the fact. It's, it's 372, and when he took office, it was 234. Yeah, that, that wasn't a gap, Ryan. I mean, that's just an outright lie or, you know, a scary level of ignorance. Uh, I, I don't know which it is, um, but every American who's going to the gas pump, he's not, uh, knows that that's just, that's just not the case. And what I keep watching is actually the price of diesel because that's what our truckers use. I mean, our truckers are going from 300 to $400 to fill up their truck to over 1000 And everything has to be transported in this country, right? And, and it's the biggest driver of inflation, and that's still at $5.30 uh, on, on average. It's just, it's just crushing us. But, Brian, I mean, back to your original point, you know, this is why Biden has such a credibility problem. He stands before the world and says Afghanistan withdrawal was a, was a fantastic success was that uh, that inflation was transitory and now just lies about the direction of gas prices. Uh, and, and to your point, not only misleads people, but just blames other people rather than taking responsibility and saying, here's the plan to fix it. And that's why they're about to get schwacked uh, in the polls in 11 days. Americans you know, have, lost, have lost confidence and said enough is enough. Uh, we, uh, it was pretty clear yesterday's national, uh, uh, I guess, strategic uh, defense plan was announced Finally, by the Secretary of Defense, also Vladimir Putin announced his intentions in his annual update. And as they say, I haven't read all of it uh, through the yep. translation, obviously. They say it was not the rhetoric that you're used to seeing. They said, why does everyone think that uh, I'm going to have a nuclear war? It's not me. It's you guys in, in, in the West. Uh, and he also said, clearly, it's almost as if China wrote half his speech. He was talking about why doesn't the U.S. and China get along? Taiwan belongs to China. The U.S. should stop meddling. Here's General Jack Keane on uh, what he saw yesterday and how it relates to Ukraine, Vladimir Putin, and China. Cut 27. It's a little unfortunate we get things in there too late. They've been asking for air defense systems for many, many weeks, and now we have a crisis and they're finally getting them. They need other things to help them with their offensive. Tanks, fighting vehicles, artillery, more HIMARS, and the Army's tactical missile system as well. Hopefully we get all of that to them as quickly as possible. I rolled the wrong clip. That is what I wanted to get to next. Uh, But I might as well answer this because I know you're all over the Ukraine situation. Uh, We see that they found a way in Ukraine to knock out those slow-moving Iranian kamikaze drones for the most part. Some do still get through. But you also, what he just discussed, they need missile defense. They're making great progress on the ground. They need missile defense. What is taking so long? Brian, I was there almost a year ago now, and the Ukrainians were begging for it back then, pre-invasion. Uh, and the, the response that they got from, from the Biden White House on stingers, on harpoon missiles, on air defense systems was all too provocative. You know, this administration seems to finally get to the right answer about a day late and a dollar short. Uh, everything is late, and tens of thousands of Ukrainians are dead because of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's just beyond frustrating. Um, but, but eventually they get there, uh, and they get to the right answer. But to your point on uh, you know, on the on the broader strate- geostrategic shift we're seeing, we're seeing the largest, I think, shift since the end of the Cold War with this alignment of autocracies, with Iran now uh, active in the Ukraine war, lined up with Russia, Russia now a junior partner to Z. I think you're right uh, that the Chinese were in there writing Putin's speech. Uh, and by the way, let's not forget about North Korea that's about to set off another uh, another nuke uh, in, in the coming weeks. 
And as that alignment happens, they are all in concert in talking about the decline of the United States and the decline of the West and a new world order led by their vision of governance, led by China and its uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics. And in the middle of this, uh, Biden just announced his defense strategy where he's cutting our tactical nukes. Uh, we're seeing with Putin right now, he believes, and this is Russian doctrine, that they can set off a tactical nuke and we wouldn't dare respond because we don't really have any with a ICBM that would cause world destruction. So therefore, they can get away with it. They call it escalate to de-escalate. But and you, their new strategy, Biden's new strategy, will actually cut our tactical nuke. But you, you uh, don't think that it would be a good tactic, even military tactic, for a Russian to do a tactical nuke, right? Because basically they just make one city useless and there's a chance of blowback from that nuclear explosion, correct? Absolutely, but they believe that they can get away with it because they know we don't have tactical nukes, and now Biden has announced uh, that he's going to cut what we do have, right? So how deterrence works is is we could, could if the Russians believe we could escalate in kind, uh, then therefore they're deterred. Uh, but they believe that we can't, and we wouldn't dare start you know, uh, uh, an overall global nuclear war. Therefore, they could get away with it. So what right? about— That's the yeah. calculus they have. So now we understand, to talk about a full circle, we understand the Afghan troops, they were fighting for the Afghan government when Ghani left like a coward and took his money and somewhere now. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why he's not accountable for it. A lot of the trained fighters who are allies of ours are now being coerced to go into Ukraine and fight uh, against the Ukrainians for Russia. Yeah, we're, I'm trying to verify that, Brian. Uh, I know, um, you know, Jen Griffin and, and others who are doing great reporting on this stuff are trying to really run that down. To my knowledge, uh, no Afghans have been seen. You know, these are former Afghan commanders that we trained, that I fought with. None of them have actually been seen in Ukraine. But we are getting reporting that uh, the Wagner group, the Russian mercenary group, is trying to recruit them as they're desperately sitting uh, you know, uh, in Iran and Turkey and other places because they've got to escape the Taliban that's hunting them down, but they can't get to the United States uh, because of the mismanagement of this uh, administration. And and therefore, they're vulnerable uh, to recruitment. But we're trying to, you know, I'll come back to you. We're, I've requested briefings on it. We're trying to run this down. Okay. Uh, quick other thing. Um, Vladimir Putin has also threatened to destroy U.S. satellites. Interesting. China was practicing with this a couple of years ago. If they start yep. trying to shoot our satellites out of the sky, um, what would our reaction be? What would our response be? Yeah, that, that's a great question and one that I put before the administration because what they're threatening to shoot uh, are actually commercial satellites. So they're not U.S. military satellites. They're the commercial satellites that have provided us all of this great imagery and, uh, and Elon Musk's Starlink. Uh, system that's allowing the Ukrainians to to communicate and get the word out of what's going on there. Uh, I don't think we have a clear doctrine on it, Brian, and and we need to. I I would say so uh, because uh, that would bring out our, our military, maybe even Ukraine's uh, ability to communicate down to its knees. So I think all this stuff has got to be hashed out because it's got to be an instant reaction. And then the more right. and you make it transparent about it. if you do this, this will happen. Go ahead, uh, make my day. And or, no, that's right. That's point. how deterrence works. We have to communicate the consequences. But this administration likes to wait until the crisis or the invasion <laughs> happens, and then they start wringing their hands to figure it out. And back to my point of day late and dollar short on every response. But that's what invites aggression. 
uh, you know, dictators are emboldened by perceived weakness, and they smell weakness in this White House right now and a lack of clear messaging on what consequences they'll be. Congressman Mike Waltz, Florida. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, Brian. All right. House Armed Services Committee looks to go into the majority as a chairperson. Bottom of the hour, Jonathan Turley. Good news. You have a chance to talk next. one 866 One of the topics I know you're going to be all over, and you could write me, briankillme.com, is Twitter. Now that Musk is in charge, what changes? Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And by the way, the food prices, the main driver of food prices, is not the price of beef and eggs, etc. Well, they're up. It's packaged goods. Packaged goods. You're going to see people not buying Kellogg's uh, Raisin Bran, which you're going to see them buy another Raisin Bran, which is going to be a dollar cheaper. I mean, so what's happening is there is real movement. We're better positioned than any country in the world any major country in the world. And our economy is growing and it's still in a a place where it's leveling out in a rational means. If you want to say we're in better position, good, you should be an advocate. But to say that uh, leveling out, inflation's leveling out at an absurdly high, uh, just under 8%, it's nuts. Every day it's a toll. It's like being punched in the face every day and go, well, at least we're not punching you twice as hard. But no, we're getting punched every day. And him not acknowledging it, say we're strong, is maddening. Roy, listen to WVGA in Valdosta. Hey, Roy. Hey, good morning, Brian. I am dressed. I just want you to know that. Good job. Um, uh, I feel strongly that Herschel Walker needs to say nothing to anybody. Uh, the three people that need to apologize uh, are Stacey Abrams, Raphael Warnock, and, and Joe Biden. Uh, Abrams stole basically hundreds of millions of dollars from Atlanta by uh, just allowing the All-Star game to be taken out of the state. Um, Raphael Warnock has spent us into oblivion, and Joe Biden saying our voting law is uh, Jim Crow 2.0, where all the results uh, recently have shown just the opposite. Thanks so much, Roy. Well said. I've been to Valdosta, great area, great town, great people. Jonathan Turley next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think there's there's a general question of should was it Twitter have permanent bans? Permanent bans 
should be uh, extremely rare and really reserved for uh, people where they're trying to uh, for, for accounts that are uh, bots or uh, spam scam accounts uh, where there's just no legitimacy to the account at all. So it's big news, and that's why I wanted to make one of the big three. Twitter's been taken over by Elon Musk, and he made it clear it's going to be changed. How did I know that? When you fire everybody in charge, that's a clue. Jonathan Turley with me now, constitutional law attorney, professor at George Washington University, Fox News contributor. Jonathan, uh, so Trump, so much of the surprise of many people, Elon Musk now owns Twitter. He wants to take it private. What changes? Well, a great deal changes, and it began with the termination of some of the chief censors at uh, Twitter. You know, the former CEO, uh, when he came into power, said that he really wasn't that concerned about free speech. And he said the question is not uh, who should speak, but to him, who should be heard. And that really sort of said everything you needed to know about the censorship culture at at Twitter. The problem is that you've got this headquarters in San Francisco that is filled with people that have spent years creating uh, one of the world's largest censorship programs in history. It's going to be it's going to take an effort uh, to uh, sort of exercise uh, that uh, culture. You know, I don't know where he stands. Elon Musk, I think socially, he is uh, seems to be liberal, uh, conservative when it comes to fiscal. And it, obviously, he's not a darling of this administration. They ignore him, even though he's the number one electric car maker in the world. It's just bizarre. And he's subsidized heavily with SpaceX moving our space program forward. It's crazy. He wants to create one app with everything on it. So you can order your food. You can buy a car. You can go to space. And you can... Uh, actually tweet. Uh, so maybe he's getting towards that goal. I, I wish I was that bright to figure out what was next for him. But in terms of market pressure, if you have one major social uh, social platform that seems to be fair and the others seem to be slanted, that could be a boon for Twitter. Why would I go on Facebook if they continue to work against me, suppress my postings, uh, um, make it impossible to find the stories that would interest me? like we witnessed over the last few years. That's what I think is so uh, potentially vital about this purchase. Well, I think that's why you're seeing such a panic this morning on people like Taylor Lorenz saying that the gates of hell have opened. And uh, this this panic is uh, well-based, you know, because the last few years have been the golden age of censorship. You know, people (laughs) like uh, Lorenz and others have had effective control of the messaging, not directly, but their message is the only approved message on some of these uh, sites, which have shown great bias in uh, censoring dissenting views. And so they are alarmed because they know that selling censorship has never really sold. I mean, Twitter has not been that successful of a business plan because people don't want censorship. But the only way you can get away with it is if there is no effective alternative. And that's why all of these figures in the media and Democrats who are crying foul today um, are so upset because they know that given the choice between free speech and censorship, people are going to choose free speech. 
And that could unravel all of this. And so that's one of the reasons when Musk first said he was taking over Twitter, what was the first response of people like Hillary Clinton? She went out and moved from her support of corporate censorship to good old-fashioned state censorship. I mean, Hillary Clinton called on European countries to pass laws that would effectively force Twitter to continue to censor dissenting views. And that was echoed by other figures like recently the New Zealand uh, prime minister in the United Nations calling for a global censorship system by state governments. Uh, With me now is Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, if I could pivot to what the president said yesterday in Syracuse, uh, en route to Syracuse, about student loan forgiveness. He decided unilaterally and forgot. He said he he passed it on a few votes, which is another story. Uh, He said this is his projection on student loan forgiveness. And keep in mind, everyone listening right now, you have not had to make a payment for about two years. So it's not as if you're not being helped. Uh, Here is cut 15. Judge has halted that, uh, your plan to relieve debt for millions of Americans that are struggling with student loans. What's your response to that? We're going to win that case. I I think in the next two weeks you're going to see those checks going out. Your thoughts? Well, they may win the case, but not because the courts agree with them. Biden said uh, last week that the Supreme Court and a lower court said, this is a direct quote, uh, that we're on Biden's side. Uh, It was an amazing statement because those courts had simply ruled on standing. They didn't rule on the merits. The lower court judge actually said these challenges raise very significant questions. But what Biden is counting on is that nobody has standing to allow courts to reach the merits. And he's doing a, a victory lap over that. So, yeah, they might lift this stay until we can find someone that has standing to challenge it. But there is a great deal to challenge here. What he did was wrong. Senator Biden, when he still existed, would have been the first to object. What the president did is he acted like an American czar. He gave away, effectively, half a trillion dollars without a vote of Congress, which is supposedly the branch that has the power of the purse. So the way I understand it, is that they were individual banks that gave you and I student loans if we needed them. And Barack Obama changed that and nationalized the student loan program, allowing him to possibly make a movement like this because you can't go to TD Bank and all these other banks that went individually to give uh, students their loans. You nationalized it. You took that debt, and you, that enabled you to make a unilateral decision like that, correct? Before he did that, this wouldn't have been possible, would it? Yeah, I still don't think it's possible. They're using the HEROES Act, which is only five pages long. It was meant to protect real heroes, people who go off to war and face themselves in a bind with loans. And so it was to allow those individuals to be given a little bit of assistance. Nobody had any inkling that a president would suggest that he could use that five-page bill to wipe out Uh, $500 billion owed to the American taxpayer. And so this is one of the reasons why we can have a debate over whether it makes sense to force essentially a plumber in, you know, Iowa to pay for the college education of a kid in, in New York. But we can have that debate. But what we shouldn't have a debate about is that this is wrong in the way it was done. And Senator Biden, back when, would have been the first 
to jump up on the Senate floor and object vociferously if President Bush had tried to do anything like this. Of course. Uh, if I can, I don't know if you heard, but Donald Trump has some legal challenges. You want to go Google <laughs> that real quick? One of, the, one of which, uh, uh, Mar-a-Lago, they had an interesting conference yesterday. I understand the Justice Department went with Trump officials. What could that have been about? Could a deal be in the offering? Would that make more sense? It could be, because the thing is, these types of uh, violations involving classified evidence um, have largely been treated either as non-criminal matters, that's the majority, or when in the most serious cases, they've been dealt with as misdemeanors in cases like Sandy Berger. So this is a huge amount of effort over something that is often treated as a misdemeanor if you're really going for the prosecution and not just the uh, regaining control of these documents. So normally that would be uh, a subject that could be negotiated and settled without a prosecution. And, you know, for example, you could have an agreement that he that there would be a full inspection to make sure that there's no further classified evidence present, some type of statement by the president. Um, obviously, could also include an actual plea uh, that, you know, to a misdemeanor. Uh, but, you know, all of those things are obviously, you know, in the works. I mean, what's 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 complicating this, of course, is we're heading into a new presidential election season. Any moves with regard to Hunter Biden or with regard to Donald Trump will presumably occur after the midterm elections. But what's fascinating about that is that some legal changes are likely to have uh, some political changes likely have legal impacts. So there's some cases involving, for example, contempt of Congress. Well, what happens when Congress changes and doesn't feel that they're the victims of contempt? And the same yeah. could be true with some of these investigations. The Republicans are promising to hit the road running, hit the ground running, and to investigate some of these matters, including matters of how the FBI and Department of Justice have handled these investigations. Uh, quick thing. The other thing, the Supreme Court, I know is uh, near and dear to you and the outrage we felt when they were being targeted when rumors came out that uh, Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision was going to spell the end of Roe v. Wade and return the power to the states. Uh, Samuel Alito was one of the people who felt as though his life was threatened during that period. Let's listen. The leak also made those of us who were thought to be in the majority in support of overruling Roe and Casey targets for assassination because it gave people a rational reason to think they could prevent that from happening by killing one of us. Because a, a Democratic Senate would have said we would have mourned two days, two weeks, and then there's a Democratic Supreme Court justice, decisions affected. So that's what he was thinking. Was he rational in making that statement? Well, it's clearly rational. The threats against these justices are well known. We had an attempted assassination of one of his colleagues. Uh, You had incredibly irresponsible language, not just coming from law professors, a Georgetown professor saying that if anything, protesters outside the homes of justices need to be, quote, more aggressive. And you've got but you also have leaders like, of course, Majority Leader uh, Schumer, who said that, you know, you, we're going to hold you accountable. You're going to, you, you don't know what you've done if you vote against Roe and making these threats against justices by name in front of the Supreme Court. That's, a, that's the Senate majority leader, for God's sake. 
And so obviously that has an impact on people who are unhinged, people who are uh, sometimes mentally ill. They hear those words and it gives them license, a sense that they have a right to do this. I just spoke at the Tenth Circuit Conference where Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Gorsuch were also speaking. Uh, you know, I speak fairly regularly at conferences with justices. I've never seen the security that I saw there. I mean, they, the marshals are very concerned. Right. And I, there were hundreds, it seems like, hundreds of, of police there. I've never seen that level of security. And it's a real sad statement that the chief justice or a justice cannot go to a judicial conference without having a battalion around them. Yeah, it is. And by the way, how, how could we not have found that leaker by now? Do you sense we have and they're just thinking about how to release it? Um, I don't have any uh, sense that they have found the leaker. I'm concerned that Chief Justice Roberts made the decision not to bring in the FBI, which is the world's leader on forensic investigation. And there's a concern that the marshals are really not up to this task. And so we're hoping that they have found the individual. What's weird about this is there's very there's a relatively small number of individuals. I mean, this is not, you know, some global, you know, internet search. You've got a relatively small number of people who are suspects. But so far, we, there's been no indication that they have found that person. Presumably, if they did, we would at least, at a minimum, have some type of bar charge if this is an attorney, a clerk, or a staffer who's a lawyer. Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Uh, have, have a great weekend. That's your only other mission. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Mark. When we come back, I'm going to take your calls, one 408 7669 Elon Musk in charge of a major social media platform. I think it changes everything. Am I overstating it? I think it's beyond hope. The fact is, if he's just going to be fair, that's all people want. Fair, and he says what's going to be rare is banning, which means Donald Trump, That's your move is next. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It was also Kamala's birthday. And happy birthday, great president. Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was was going to be here. And you elected the highest-ranking black Indian with Indian background woman in American history to be vice president, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, seven hundred million dollar, billion dollars off the sidelines and investment. It's passed. I got it passed by a vote or two. John, thank you uh, for running. I really do appreciate it. And Zell, you're going to. You're going to be a great lady in the Senate. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Wow. Well, let me respond with two words. Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) So, I mean, some of this stuff, and we're going to discuss it on One Nation this weekend. This is ripe for comedy, wouldn't you say? That was with just the gaffes. And someone did a study from September 26th, a study, like it's extensive. Uh, From September 26th to 1024, someone chronicled how many presidential gaffes you have. 17. And Eric, I think you nailed all of them, or most of them. The Jackie one who sadly passed away in a car accident, asking to see if she's there. I mean, that's probably the worst. Two words uh, and using three, obviously. He also, the physical thing you couldn't actually hear on the radio, 
where he wanders away after two separate speeches. Staffers had to direct him to, in one instance after an event on the FEMA a response to Hurricane Ian. And I, we've all seen that. You also estimate this administration has overseen one billion, a trillion, seven hundred fifty million billion dollars off the sidelines of an investment, which you just heard. It's insane that you got to pass on this. How could you not be putting that in your monologues in late night television? It makes no sense. No, I agree, except if you want to pretend like he's amazing. Right. Uh, Stephen Colbert lost a third of his audience. Did you see that? Uh, Seth, uh, Seth um, Myers. Myers lost 40% of his audience. Uh, you had James Corden had one at one million two hundred thousand, so twelve hundred uh, one million two hundred thousand. Now he's down to seven hundred eighty six thousand viewers. And why? Because it's no longer destination viewing. It's not humorous. But he just basically tapped out. He doesn't even do his karaoke stuff anymore. He's basically not humorous, and it's all political. And they say the number one destination during the twenty twenty campaign was Stephen Colbert show for Democrats. They had to do Stephen Colbert show. And now people, he's actually saying, coming up tonight on the Colbert, you know, Stephen Colbert show, Chuck Schumer. Believe me, Chuck Schumer can't believe it. He is the guest that's supposed to get young late night viewers. It's insane. Uh, at one October event, did you see this? I watched this the other day. He grabbed a girl's face, then held her hand for a minute as he greeted others. Seconds later, he held a woman's shoulder for nearly 30 seconds as he continued to shake hands with the crowd. We know what he did with Whitmer the other day, uh, holding hands with her. And he's all over Hochul the other day, putting his hands on his shoulder with an inch away from his face. What's going on with that? That would, He knows that's his reputation anyway. Why is he still doing it? No, but who are, we were talking to, I believe it was Dr. Drew, right? When you get older, you tend to be a little touchier, and it's not. It's just a, something that happens. He had some medical explanation for it. He's always done it, but it's just getting a little more. The holding really? hands was really weird. Gee, your hair smells terrific. <laughs> that was the name of a shampoo. It was a sentence, and people bought it. And by the way, when you use it, your hair does smell terrific. Brian Kilmeade, From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, thanks so much for being with us all week long, assuming you have been. If not, welcome now. Um, and, of course, we're following the big story this morning that Paul Pelosi was attacked last night violently. He's the husband of Nancy Pelosi. She was not there. I imagine just I've never been there, but I imagine a compound surrounded by a moat. And a fence. I can't believe security would be light. It makes you wonder, did someone breach the security? Was it a sophisticated operation? Uh, was it somebody that knew how to get inside? We don't know what we're dealing with here, but it was officially announced. It's not rumor. We have to see. He's expect to make a recovery. We don't have many details yet. So, And Geraldo's standing by. He's been in just about every crime scene at one point, covering it. Shannon Bream at the bottom of the hour, Fox News Sunday Zone. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Elon Musk is now officially in charge of Twitter after a multi-billion dollar deal that he actually tried to back out of at one point. There are also reports that he's already fired the CEO and other top executives. Overnight, Musk tweeted, quote, the bird is freed. Elon Musk delivers on his decision to buy Twitter for $44 billion and says it will be an open civil town square. What are your predictions? Number two. Great economic report today. The GDP report. Things are looking good. Really? What country is he in? He might as well be talking about a different one. It's the only way I can explain the economy Joe Biden describes as compared to the one we're living in. And most importantly, who is responsible for the struggles we're in? Number one. The Democrats thought they could run on Donald Trump and abortion. The voters keep talking about the economy and crime. And nothing in this report is going to change their narrative. And that, at the end of the day, is their dilemma. And that is the Wall Street Journal's Jason Riley. Tightening everywhere. That is the state of the game for the 2022 midterms. It's also safe to say the Dems are beginning to panic on the Senate, while virtually all chances of keeping the House have dimmed and get dimmer by the day. We'll review the closing arguments with Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, are you hosting the Five tonight? I am, uh, but I'm curious about Paul Pelosi. Was it a home invasion? It looks like it. A home invasion, a violently attacked is the words used. Violently attacked. Attacked, not, not robbed? That it was just went there to hurt him? I'll, I'll read you exactly what the AP report says. It says, early this morning, an assailant broke into the Pelosi residence in San Francisco and violently assaulted Mr. Pelosi. The assailant is in custody, and the motivation for the attack is under investigation. Pelosi was taken to the hospital where he's receiving excellent medical care and expected to make a full recovery. The speaker was not in San Francisco at the time. Is she ever? The speaker and her family are grateful to the first responders and medical professionals. So, Dude, read between the lines. Run a bad luck. Uh, uh, Paul Pelosi, the accident he yeah. was in, uh, the DWI in which he got. I have, I have no idea what his life is like and whether that was a personal connection, but that's... Uh, that's horrifying. And, you know, it, 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 I think that that's part of the same story, Brian, as the Supreme Court uh, judges being threatened and public figures being assailed. Uh, you know, it's uh, the wall that uh, theoretically separates uh, people in public life from the public. I think that uh, that's, that wall has been breached for lots of reasons, and uh, I, I wish them the best, and that's, uh, that sucks. It really does. If someone came into my house, I, they would be shot. So Right. Uh, in San Francisco, they have a huge crime problem, and they have a huge homeless problem. And she's been immune to it, not acknowledging it, certainly not servicing it. And we don't know if that's related. We don't know if this is politically related. We don't know if it's personally related. But we know that he's been, you know, he's an older guy. Uh, violently assaulted is never a good scenario. So we'll, um, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I, I'm just amazed at what's happening Right now, for example, in New York City, right now with our economy, there seems to be a disconnect between the Democrat and Republican Party. And we're going to get a vote on November 8th on what the co- how the country feels about how it's being diagnosed. For example, does crime matter? According to the Democrats, it's about abortion. Does the economy matter? According to the Democrats led by the president, the economy is strong. And the numbers show we're the most, uh, we have the most vital economy, uh, vibrant economy in the world today. Okay. Uh, we also, he also makes up a bunch of numbers about, uh, about the price of gas. He said, when I, when I came over, it was $5 a gallon when I took, when I came into office and now it's three 
234. No, it was 237 when you took over, and now it's 372. I can't explain some of the things he says, but are you amazed at what the two different Americas we're going to be voting on November 8th? Well, I tell you one thing about statistics. I think the two statistics that matter most are if the Dow keeps going up and if the price of gasoline keeps dropping, then I think the chances for the Democrats, I think the House has lost them. I think your analysis on that is correct. I think they've got a fighting chance to keep the Senate. Plus, I bet Jesse Waters $1,000 on the air last night that the uh, the Dems would uh, uh, would uh, – with that the Republicans would take the House and the Dems would keep the Senate. Well, right so now they're though that. So this is personal for you. It's you're not even. Yeah. We're not, I'm not even talking to a well, rational gonna, Geraldo. I donate if, if I win, I'll donate it anyway. It's just like tunnels to towers or one of those charities. Okay, but again, uh, there was a time in which betting on the air was a problem. They didn't want us to talk about fantasy football. Remember? <laughs> now every ad is about betting. You can't watch a football or baseball show without saying the odds are. It's unbelievable what's happening. That and pot are the two big changes to society. Uh, in the long run, I know I sound a little bit off. I don't see them as a big positive, but we'll have to see. Seven races are within the margin of error in the Senate. It was interesting. I listened to James Carville last week. And he said they are all close. But the one thing in politics, unlike sports, it means that this really breaks. If there's eight close races, it really breaks 4-4. It'll be 8-2 or 9-1. That's just the way politics is because it ripples and it's a momentum situation. I if, agree with that. I'm not sure why, but that's the way it goes. What about the fact that Senator Schumer – we can't play it on audio because it doesn't come good on radio. Senator Schumer on a hot mic admits that the Fetterman hurt his chances at the Oz debate – and is befuddled that Herschel Walker is moving ahead in Georgia. Says you, I can't believe it. They're going to, they might even elect Herschel Walker, but he says they're moving ahead. He thinks they're gaining in Nevada. What are you hearing? I think that the the most important thing is more melancholy than the, the Herschel Walker story with the abortions and Betterman's obvious disability. The the real reality is that it does not matter. The character of these people at this stage, everybody is voting for numbers. The Republican lawyers are voting for Herschel Walker. He could have 10 abortions uh, that suddenly appear between now and Election Day. It wouldn't matter because uh, the Republicans have rallied behind the guy. Uh, The Democrats have done the same thing behind John Fetterman. It doesn't matter if he can't speak. It doesn't – I mean that matters morally and emotionally and – all those personal ways. But uh, with the Senate divided the way it is, 50-50, there were 26, Brian, 26 tie-breaking votes by Kamala Harris. You know, you know how many tie-breaking votes Joe Biden had? Nope. Zero when he wow. was vice president. As 26. So it's all about the numbers. It's all about, uh, you know, the Dems support the Dem and the Republicans support the Republicans. I think it's very melancholy. It used to be the Senate was the world's greatest deliberative body. Now the only deliberation they make is whether the person is loyal to the party. And I think that's very, very depressing. A senator could be, uh, you know, a, a, a bum I pull, take off the IRT uh, subway. It doesn't doesn't matter. And I think that that's very sad. And to watch how Republicans rally among Herschel Walker or rally among uh, John Fetterman, uh, they, uh, the Republicans, uh, the Democrats, how they it, mm-hmm. it, it's uh, there's no. 
there's no elan. There's no uh, right. uh, real character strength. There's a, it's all about the numbers. It's, well, a couple of things. You know, you do. You are forgetting about Cinema and Mansion have been swing votes. And number two is for Republicans, it's always been Murkowski and Collins who are tough to convince. And it'll be the same thing again if uh, Murkowski comes back. Right now, she is trailing. Uh, they'll won't be as dug in. At one point, there's going to be negotiations if the Republicans have both chambers because if he wants to get somebody confirmed, he's going to have to give somewhere. Maybe take uh, 86,000 IRS agents and have them help out at the border, something to that effect. Here's John Fetterman yesterday trying to flip his horrendous showing at his debate. Cut one. All of our doctors believe that we are absolutely ready to be fit to, to be serving. And, and you know, one of the things we always remind everybody is that by January, I would be much, much better. But Oz will still be a fraud. And, you know, and I rely on the judgment on real doctors, not a, 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 a fake uh, doctor like Dr. Oz that has spent his entire campaign you know, ridiculing it and, and counting how many words that I might miss. Yeah, well, number one, John Fetterman is making that up. Oz never even referred to his state. And number two is uh, Dr. Oz is a legitimate heart surgeon, and he's an f- unbelievable heart surgeon by all accounts. He's also an ask innovator. My, ask my Uncle Kenny. My Uncle Kenny, Erica's Uncle Kenny, Erica's dad's brother, Kenny, uh, was saved by Dr. Oz, wow. who did the did bypass. So I can attest that the Rivera-Levy uh, family uh, corroborate the fact that Oz is a terrific heart surgeon, and right. he was always very nice to yeah, his wife Lisa and uh, and uh, Doctor Oz. Always very nice to Erica and me. We're in the talk show business together. I like him a lot. I'm not endorsing him. I, I don't want to get involved in the Pennsylvania race. I, in fact, you should. Has, this guy Fetterman has his charm. Well, the one I'm interested he, in he doesn't have his charm. Record. He wants to stop fracking. He wants to let everybody out of you know his record. He's lying about his record, just like Tim Ryan is lying it. about his record in Ohio. This guy, after initially, I like, t- I like Tim Ryan too. But how could you and like did, what he? But, did, but you can't. Do you I like this like Tim Ryan Vance, or the one that's in office? I sort of like him too. I sort of like uh, J.D. Vance too because uh, uh, Amy Chua, the uh, the uh, uh, Yale Law School professor who wrote uh, Confessions of a Tiger Mom, Amy Chua, was my daughter Simone's favorite uh, professor at Yale Law School, and J.D. Vance was her student, and J.D. Vance got the idea for Hillbilly Elegy. When he was uh, Amy Chua's student at Yale, so I have some uh, uh, some affection for J.D. Vance also. So I'm believing I'm staying out of Pennsylvania. I'm but, staying but, out of Ohio. But Araldo, this is it. You could just I, say I you wish like, them all the best. But but a couple of things. But judging by the, how well I think I know you, there's okay. He's a nice guy, or or he's a nice woman, or she's a nice woman. But I can't vote for him because of what they stand for. So you might say, J.D. Vance, great guy. I don't like his stance in Ukraine, so I won't vote for him. If you look at uh, Fetterman, he doesn't seem to stand for anything you do. Number one, his view on criminal justice. His dream would be to let murderers out of prison. He's actually said that. He's against fracking. He is Bernie Sanders. I don't think Bernie Sanders would get Geraldo Rivera's vote. And that's well, what let Fetterman me, let is. Me give you one. Let me give you another one. Mike DeWine is the governor of Ohio. Mike DeWine is a staunch anti-abortion activist. Okay. Ohio passed the fetal heartbeat law. I like Mike DeWine. I have endorsed Mike DeWine. Uh, he's a man of great character, even though I disagree with him on the abortion issue. I, I think that he's a, he's been a terrific governor. And even though my wife has campaigned for Nan Whaley, uh, the Dayton mayor who is uh, running against Mike DeWine, it's another one of those situations like uh, the last the 2020 election where we have rival uh, 
uh, placards out, outside. I, I like Mike DeWine. Erica likes Dan Whaley. Uh, you know, so the Rivera house is uh, a house divided, Brian. So I want you to hear Tim Ryan in June 2019. You know, he doesn't even admit he's a Democrat now. Uh, he's uh, running like he's Donald Trump's disciple, wants to be his running mate. So here's my here's what uh, Tim Ryan really thinks when it comes to criminals. Cut seven. If elected president, will you commit to reducing the federal prison population by at least 50 percent? I don't know if it's by 50 percent or not, but we want to get all the nonviolent criminals out for sure. I'm all for it. Okay, Uh, that's not how he is right now. And you know that after initially taking a run at Nancy Pelosi, he fell in line, invites 97 percent with these crazy bills uh, uh, that they put forward. And he's rewriting his past. Fetterman now says he's pro-fracking. Why would we, without admitting, I've changed my mind. Doesn't that maddening to you? You know, I think that even more important is what you mentioned earlier, Brian, about James Carville saying the Democrats to wake up, that crime is an issue that is really affecting yeah. in a profound way, not just New Yorkers, but people around around the country. Everybody has a sense of unease. You know, it also, since the George Floyd riots and uh, where the urban centers were, were torn to pieces and, and people were left with a, a great sense that the government was not protecting them. Uh, I, I think that the most important, that's the most important job for all of these people is to not only keep us safe, but to make us feel safe. That's why I took a ride on the subway yesterday. Uh, I wanted to see for myself what New York subways looked like. I hadn't taken the subway in a couple of years. Uh, and I, I'm convinced that that is the issue of the moment. Uh, abortion is always going to be an issue. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I remember Sean Hannity and I had an argument in 2016 about what the key issue was. And I said, you know, I think it's still going to be abortion. Uh, and, and that was even before Roe v. Wade was, uh, right. was overturned. And but he I, ended I, up right. I, I, yeah, I, he ended up right. He did. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, where we go is still up for grabs, though, Brian. I don't think anybody can – those eight seats that you mentioned, uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if there's a handicapper in the country who's going to get it right. I'm going to say we don't have much time yet, but can you give me 30 seconds on why The Five is the number one show in television? What a wonderful question. I, I appreciate it. I mean, I would uh, hasten to – Ed, that you you always make a, a shining uh, uh, replacement when you can uh, substitute <laughs> host for one of the, one of us. Uh, it, it, there is a, a spontaneity and an informality about it uh, that breaks from the rigid, uh, you know, uh, cable news uh, ideology. This or that. It really is. There's humanity. Uh, it's entertaining. Uh, very funny people. Gutfeld's a great writer, even though sometimes I want to pop him on the head. You do. Uh, Jesse Waters is very charming. Uh, Janine and I go back to the early 90s. And the judge we is. Look like, uh, and you, and the judge uh, is great. Okay. And uh, Dana Perino, my God, she's the most astute political analyst in the country. So and as an, exper- and as an experienced broadcaster, you know the music's going to get louder and cut us off. Bye, Geraldo. talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show
All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. So as I mentioned with Geraldo, there are seven races too close to call. I think it's a joke. I'm not sure. Now, Allison, you said you heard that there's a belief out there that Senator Schumer knew he was miked and they wanted to get this out. Well, he's, um, I think that was Ka- uh, Kaylee McEnany's take on it, that they, they're both experienced politicians. They know they're going to be heard. So Schumer and Biden yeah. talking on a tarmac about the race, and they were talking about Fetterman. Well, we didn't get hurt. He, they say we didn't get hurt that bad during the debate. And then when they were talking about Nevada, we're gaining momentum in Nevada. I saw Laxalt, who's going to be on with us Saturday. He's up two or three points. I haven't seen anything different. And the word is Hispanic votes are the difference this time. Even though Trump got more, Laxalt's even getting more than Donald Trump got. And then you have Georgia. But even Laxalt, though- he's running against a Hispanic woman. Very interesting. I think uh, her mom, uh, uh, Masto, uh, Masto's mom was Mexican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also you have Herschel Walker, despite some controversy this week, surging ahead. Not my words, Schumer's words. And now he might be one or two points up. Question is, is he going to get over 50? If not, it'll be a bloodbath in overtime. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And by the way, the food prices, the main driver of food prices, is not the price of beef and eggs, etc. or up. It's packaged goods. Packaged goods. You're going to see people not buying Kellogg's uh, raisin bran, which you're going to see them buy another raisin bran, which can be a dollar cheaper. I mean, so what's happening is there is real movement. We're better positioned than any country in the world any major country in the world. And our economy is growing and it's still in a, a place where it's leveling out in a ra- rational means. I, I know he wants to cheerlead. There's nothing wrong with that. that. You could say that's a leadership principle. But telling people we're just buying non-name brands or no-frills labels because of the economic strife and saying that inflation is steady at 8%, uh, just under 8% and that's a good thing, that's an ongoing that's an ongoing punch in the face. Uh, and you just don't get hit by a left and a right, and you think that's an improvement. Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News uh, Sunday. Fox News is also chief legal analyst, also loves to uh, loves to box uh, and loves my analogies. Is that correct, Shannon? I mean what what's not to love? <laughs> that's Use true. Analogies all of it, the boxing. I mean, um, I used to do a Saturday morning boxing class. Like it, get the frustrations out, you but, know. But it was one of those classes where they don't worry about form. They just want you to burn calories. Uh, oh, no, they were sticklers for the form. They were. And there were a lot of burpees involved. So I had to phase that out of my life. It just wasn't fitting with my comfort level. Really? Burpees are tough. I know. And if you make your workout too tough, you're not going to do it. Right. I like just the right amount of toughness, which is why Sheldon and I do that. Not that you care. We actually work with the trainer a couple times a week because they make it way worse than I'd make it for myself. Do you have you a know? live-in trainer? Like, oh, once around the block, I'm good. Uh, do you have a live-in <laughs> trainer or? <laughs> no, but we do have a guy who's pretty tough on us. So, okay. you know. And you pay him to be tough us, on right? So here's yeah. Josh Holmes on the president's disconnect from the real economy. Cut 18. I actually think that the White House has done something almost more politically perilous than presiding over a bad economy. And it's it's representing this disconnect between 
their point of view on the economy and the American people. When they time after time come out and talk about what a great economy it is and how well they're doing with the economy, that's just not the experience that the American people are having, right? And so in addition to actually having a bad economy, the American people are watching the White House and Democrats in Congress constantly telling them how great it is. That is a bit bigger political problem than the bad economy in the first place. It, I just thought that the, for practical sense, even though the growth was over 2%, people aren't feeling it, but they're paying it. And the fact is, when it comes to energy prices and utility bills, that's a hidden IED, I think, for November 8th. I think, Josh, by the way, you must be cheating and looking at our um, Fox News Sunday panel because Josh is on it. But I think he does make a good point there. It's one thing to go out and cheerlead about an issue. But it's a different thing to cheer a little bit on an issue that people experience every day in their real life and have like a BS meter about. And for you to say things are going great when they're like, um, I'm paying, you know, a dollar and a half more a gallon than when you took president, you know, took the, took office. And I'm paying 30 percent more for eggs and milk and bread. And, you know, that's, those are just real life measurements. I mean, you constantly hear from people about how they're struggling to make good choices so they can pay their bills and, and, and make ends meet. And it's gotten progressively worse for them over the last year. Whether they're Democrats or Republicans, that shows up as the number one issue, that people are worried about the economy, and they will tell you that they're worse off than they were two years ago. So I think Josh has a good point in that it's a tough issue, but to then not acknowledge it for the reality that it is, then people think that you're trying to like that. Shannon, a couple of things are happening. Mitch McConnell is is putting his hand on the on the scale as much as Donald Trump, I would argue, pulling money away from Blake Masters, by the way, who's in a dead heat or pulling ahead of Mark Kelly, and then pulling away from Don Bolduck in, in New Hampshire as well, because he's not this type of uh, candidate, and also putting it for Lisa Murkowski uh, in Alaska, even though there's another Republican pulling ahead. So... McConnell's doing a lot behind the scenes and not doing a lot, which means a lot because he's got a lot of money that he could put mm-hmm. elsewhere. Yeah. And, and listen, they look at polls just like we do. And they also have internal polling and things that, you know, don't always trickle out to us. And they want to spend their money in the place they think they have the best chance to win. What's interesting is that you uh, you have seen other groups step in in places like New Hampshire with General Bulldog up there to say, all right, Senate leadership fund, Mitch McConnell may feel like they're directing their money elsewhere, but we're going to pour in here because we think there's a chance. So. You know, it's a lot of money out there. It shifts around to races where people want to say that they backed the winner. Um, yeah, but it's finite. So you do have to make decisions about where it goes. But we've seen before races where you, where you think, okay, I think back to Ed Gillespie in Virginia years ago and think, all right, if he'd had the support that he needed and wanted from the national level Republicans and some of the health there, could he have won that race? Um, it was way closer. It was, I think the polling was eight to 11 points out, but it really was like a 1% one point race. Um, so, you know, they got to make the best educated decisions they can. But some of these candidates feel like, listen, I feel like I could I could pull, uh, you know, into a, a tie here or pull ahead, but I need the money. And, and for them to take it off, it's saying, I want you to lose. So a couple of things, if you look at some of the candidates that Donald Trump picked that people had a problem with and said, where this come from? Mastriano not doing well, does have a lot of passionate support, but maybe not enough support. Uh, Herschel seems to be pulling ahead, even according to Chuck Schumer. You have Dr. Oz, who's surging strongly from down double digits to might even be up or a flat-footed tie. Blake Masters is extremely talented and smart, and he is surging. And I think that Carrie Lake is the most Mm -hmm. talented politician to emerge so far. I mean, she's been unbelievable, and she's pulling ahead. 
So a lot of these, a lot of these selections by the former president and J.D. Vance, too, maybe he should be winning by more, whatever, if he does pull it off, the president's going to prove to be very not only strong in the primaries, but in the general. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think that's a real test for him. He's had a very good track record in the primaries. Um, And listen, some of the Democrats have loved that because they think he's going to pick people who are more, quote unquote, MAGA. They're going to be more extreme. They'll be easier to beat in the general. So this is the real test for the former president. And, you know, you hear a lot of strategists and analysts talking about this here in Washington, that this is a big deal for him for 2024. Um, Do the candidates he backed not get over the finish line, cost Republicans the Senate, and he gets tagged with that? Or is he seen as a genius because these people who were viewed as, you know, or portrayed by the left as extreme, got through their primaries and actually made it through the general? Um, I think that is why we're seeing him wait sort of on his timing about announcing his intentions. Because uh, I think that the midterms could make a big statement on him and his endorsement. So a couple of things that are surprising many people is what, number one, Grassley's having a real tough time in Iowa getting six more years. Uh, what's going on on the ground there? What's changed about Iowa? I don't know that it has or if the, the polling is off. Uh, a lot of people I talk to out there say he's in great shape. Um, you know, he's been doing this for decades. He visits all 99 counties. I mean, he's sort of a legend there in Iowa and has a lot of bipartisan support. I mean, he's a farmer by nature. He knows the issues out there. They think the polling is off. It wouldn't be the first time that polling is off. Um, but it just may be that it's, you know, younger, more progressive candidates are getting out there and hustling and trying to present a real, you know, alternative to somebody who's been around forever. I think that that's kind of one of the complaints you see on both sides. That people say it's time for fresh leadership. Well, if that's what you want, Chuck Rossley is not your guy. But if you want somebody who, you know, gets things done and, and says he's connected with his constituents and really is on the ground there, this is not a guy that hangs out at Washington cocktail parties instead of going home to Iowa for the weekend. Um, his campaign feels like they're in good shape. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, out in Oregon, could there be a Republican governor? There could be. How interesting is that? And I think a lot of that goes to the crime issue. It seems like out in the Northwest, where Democrats are in trouble, it's where crime has really become a big issue. You've got Portland out there. And that Oregon race is interesting. You've got three you know, primary candidates. And you know, the two of them could split up the more left-leaning vote and leave an opening for the Republican challenger. Um, you know, The president went out there. It, it's clear that Democrats have some concerns about some of those blue areas out west. And, uh, and lastly, uh, out in Utah— Uh, Utah has Mike Lee running against an independent that's really like a Republican, and he seems to be getting worried, and he has turned down an opportunity, I understand, to debate on our channel. Yeah, and we invited them both on Fox News Sunday. Mike Lee did come um, last week. Evan McMullen was not able to join us because, listen, we want to host that conversation, too. Evan McMullen was a Republican. You remember he ran for president in 2016 as kind of a protest against Donald Trump. Mike Lee voted for Evan McMullen in 2016, not voting for him this year in their Senate race. Um, But, gosh, it's got so many interesting things. Mitt Romney, the other sitting GOP governor in Utah, won't endorse in the race. Um, It's a lot closer than Republicans would like it to be. But, you know, the accusation against McMullen is that he's running as Democrat light. Um, He did talk with the Democrat leaders out there. So they're not running a Democrat in this race. So, you know, he's taking a lot of money from the blue side of the aisle. And that's the accusation. He says, nope, he's a a Republican. He's a conservative. But he thinks um, it's time to run as an independent and try to bring together both sides. We'll see if he can pull it off. And about uh, in about an hour, we're going to speak to less than an hour. We're going to speak to 
gubernatorial candidate and Republican side, Lee Zeldin. I don't know if around mm-hmm. the country they know what's going on in New York, but he's within one or two points. He was even on Sunday ahead in one of the polls, and there is no ground game for Democrats. They have not lost in 20 years, and they say even though they got plenty of money, they have no people on the ground making sure uh, uh, getting the handing out flyers and pointing mm-hmm. people in the right direction, and they have just they are basically rusty. I'm wondering if you get the sense are in Washington that there's some some change afoot in New York. We have heard quite a bit about the House races there in the Hudson Valley and Republicans on the House side are feeling very, very bullish about their chances in New York. And they think, obviously, that helps Zeldin. Zeldin helps them. They think there's momentum there. Um, You know, there was a whole redistricting fight in New York and about boundaries and drawing lines. And Republicans feel like they're actually in a very good position to have a great night in New York. And then it may be one of the things that kind of flips more power to Republicans, which would be so ironic because it is viewed as so solidly blue. I mean, Democrats look at New York and California and say, all right, we've got these big electoral prizes. Now let's go fight for the rest of the country. But Republicans are feeling very, very confident about what's going on in New York. They feel like on the ground that they have done the work and feel like it's going to be a good night for them. Who do you have on your show on Fox News Sunday? We've got RNC chair Ronna McDaniel to talk about some of these really tight races. Um, Republicans finding themselves not in the red tsunami they had at the beginning of the year, the prediction, more of a red ripple. Where does she think where, you know, where does she see that they could kind of shore up some of these Republican uh, candidates in Senate races? Can they or is that going to be a loss that they should have managed better for the Senate? Uh, we've also got pollsters from both sides of the aisle, Kellyanne Conway, Celinda Lake. We're going to talk to them about what can you believe? You mentioned the Zeldin poll. There was that New York Times Siena poll that showed a 32-point swing between independent women over to Republicans. Is that legit? Um, you know, polls influence a lot of people to stay home or to get out there. And so we're going to dive into that. And are there really those hidden voters that don't tell pollsters the truth? Uh, won't answer their questions, and how much does that impact the polling? And also a home inv- a home invasion. Uh, Paul, mm-hmm. Paul, uh, Paul Pelosi violently attacked. He's in the hospital, expected to make a full recovery. Do we know mm-hmm. any other new- news on that? I mean, the fact that they have someone in custody is exceptionally good news. Um, they'll hopefully be held fully responsible. Um, but also then we get to the motivation and find out, was this a random break-in? Was this somebody that was politically motivated? We just have no idea right now. But the fact that they already have the suspect in custody is a huge bit of good news for solving this thing. And um, all good wishes to him, as it sounds like he's going to be in good shape. Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream, 2 o'clock on Fox News Channel. But more importantly, check your local listings for the network show when it first airs before noon. Shannon, thank you. Have a great weekend. You got it. one 408 7669 Just a quick reminder, if you're in the Rochester area, I'm going to be up there Saturday uh, at 6 o'clock, signing books at Barnes & Noble. Go check it out, BrianKillMe.com. Check on tour. I might be coming to a city near you. We've got invades in St. Louis next Saturday, a week from eight days from today. I'm going to be up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hope to see you out there. Uh, we have big events going on also, uh, Point Pleasant in New Jersey. Just check it out, BrianKillMe.com. And if you want to see me on stage when we have a chance to talk, interact, as well as go over America from 1776, not 1619, America great from the start, using my books as a launching point to get us through American history and then have some fun, uh, just go to BrianKillMe.com. I'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th on the 12th in Brandon, Mississippi, on December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey. Meet me there. VIP opportunities. BrianKillmead.com. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmead Show. The more you listen... 
the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake um, because it, uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. It didn't. He had uh, a voice that actually helped Donald Trump in the long run. That's what I believe. But that was Elon Musk. He has bought for $44 billion. He has bought Twitter, fired the whole management team. He's going to pare down uh, the worker base, and we'll see what happens. I think he's going to make it fair. There's no downside to it. I think market pressures will have Facebook really stand out. And Twitter, I'm not really sure what to make of TikTok because I'm torn by it. I understand the success, appreciate it, but I also know China's gaining all information from all the users. So besides that, Instagram owned by Facebook, go ahead, be biased. Most people who aren't fair will go to Twitter, forcing them to be more fair, I believe. So that's why I think it's all good news. Doug was on KLIN in Nebraska. Hey, Doug. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. No problem. My question to you is, if we do this red wave and it does come through, which I'm hoping it does, how do we know we can trust these guys when they get in there? that they'll keep doing what they're doing for their whole term, other than the fact that, you know, they may get voted back out. But history has shown us that they're in there for two, three years, and then they just kind of do their own very little thing. Well, they still kind of, they stick too much on party lines. I mean, some people cut deals. We watch Manchin and Cinema sit out and stop the Democrats' agenda, thankfully. They didn't pack the court. They didn't get rid of the filibuster. They didn't add two states, really, uh, in some respects, just because of those two. And then you have some independent thinkers. Collins is uh, being a Republican in Maine is a lot different than being a Republican in Nebraska. And I think people have to understand that. And also, I wouldn't mind people cutting deals. Get something for it. You know, Joe Biden, if he loses both chambers, is going to want to get something done. What's he going to give up? It doesn't mean you're necessarily not a Republican. But when you get in there, you got to start making deals. Uh, Doug, I think he's got to be a little patient with that. So let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Disney's debuting their first plus-size heroine in a short film tackling body dys- uh, dysphoria. Uh, the obese. What did I call it? Dysphoria. What did you? What do you call it? Dysmorphia. Oh, that's good too. <laughs> the obese ballet dancer on the film Reflect will mark the first time an overweight character was treated as a hero. How do you feel about that? I mean, I didn't see it. It's probably good, and you know, it's she looks cute. But at the same time, to be like, okay, if you're like obese, it's a good thing. I also don't think that's that's Bill good. Maher. Bill Maher says, listen, don't be fat. It's true. No, I agree. Like, and then your next story is going to be on Taylor Swift. But I think it's absolutely ridiculous that she edited the video, but you can read that now. Next, Taylor Swift is editing the video for a new song after fat activists accuse her of fat phobia. It's effing stupid, just rotted. Pop artist Taylor Swift edited the video for one of her new songs after a fat positivity activist accused her of fat phobia. The scene from her song Antihero shows the singer weighing herself on a scale and looking at the display that reads fat. While the video and the song were intended to be a commentary on how the wrong mindset can lead people into self-destructive habits, Taylor Swift music video where she looks down at the scale where it says uh, fat is a blanky way to describe her body image struggles. Uh, can we just leave her alone? Don't watch the video. I thought Why she was are you an artist. Change it? It's her art. It's how she feels. Why doesn't she stick up for herself? Why do you have to stick and up for her? And also a fat positivity activist says everything that's wrong with the country. Thank you. Enough said. From the Fox. 
Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, final hour of the week, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Exciting week, too. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick will be with us. I want to talk about the border. The numbers are stunning. The fact that the Democrats now have to pay attention to it is even uh, more rewarding. And if they don't pay the price of the ballot box, it is continu- it's going to continue in a way uh, that we can't even get our head around. We're going to be fu- fully digesting other countries unless— Democrats are being held accountable for this. And then Lee Zeldin, one of the great stories of this cycle for Republicans has been the emergence of Lee Zeldin, slow and steady. He has uh, fought hard and gotten the nomination against a fine field. And then he has taken on Governor Hochul, who put to, who has a huge war chest to run on, inherited by Governor Cuomo. And now he's within striking distance, slightly ahead or slightly behind, depending on the poll you look at, to be the first Republican in 20 years to uh, go to Albany. So before he's going to be joining us live in 15 minutes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Elon Musk is now officially in charge of Twitter after a multi-billion dollar deal that he actually tried to back out of at one point. There are also reports that he's already fired the CEO and other top executives. Overnight, Musk tweeted, quote, the bird is freed. It's pretty cool, right? Elon Musk delivers on his decision to buy Twitter. I think it's going to be a great thing. What about you? Number two. Great economic report today. The GDP report. Things are looking good. Uh, that's the president of the United States. Might as well be talking about two different countries. It's the only way I can explain the economy Joe Biden thinks we're in, as opposed to the one we are actually in. Will November 8th tell us and prove to Joe Biden that he is delusional? Number one. The Democrats thought they could run on Donald Trump and abortion. The voters keep talking about the economy and crime. And nothing in this report is going to change their narrative. And that, at the end of the day, is their dilemma. All right. uh, There you go. That is Jason Riley. Uh, We are tightening everywhere. That is the state of the game for the 2022 midterms. It's also safe to say the Dems are beginning to panic on the Senate while virtually all chances of keeping the House dim by the day. We'll review the closing arguments and we'll do it, of course, uh, with two great guests in about our moments uh, a little bit later on the half hour. So there are seven matchups that are considered a toss up. I look in Arizona where I think two weeks ago, if I told you Blake Masters would be slightly ahead of Mark Kelly, you'd be like, well, that's wishful thinking. You must be drinking Trump's uh, magic potion. Well, it turns out Blake Masters endlessly competent. He's got a great feature. If you want to see a great feature, go on Tucker Carlson. uh, Go on Tucker Carlson on Fox Nation. Tucker Carlson's. um, What what do we call it again? He does those uh, those mini documentaries. He did Tucker, uh, Tucker today. Yeah. Um, well, he Originals. just, yeah, just click on Chronicles, whatever it is. You click on Blake Masters. He goes behind the scenes. 
a great understanding of how he put his team together. Mitch McConnell took his money away, and he didn't care because Peter Thiel walked in. That helped. He's got his own money. That helps. Also, he's in a state that's been totally let down by Mark Kelly, who has let Kristen Sinema, Kristen Sinema, show tremendous guts. He's done nothing. He now is divorcing himself from Joe Biden. Either stay with him or against him. Do something publicly or don't do something at all. A military guy that goes into space you thought would be there as long as he wanted to be. He is now a toss-up state. Adam Laxalt, moving ahead, can flip that seat for Republicans. He's going to be joining me on One Nation. Herschel Walker, pulling ahead in Georgia. That is certainly notable. I believe Dr. Oz will certainly pull ahead in Pennsylvania. The problem for Dr. Oz, as was uh, alerted to me by Michael Walton earlier today, is that it's a lot to ask somebody to split a ticket. And they think that Shapiro is so far ahead of Mastriano, about eight points. A lot of people are going to be hitting the lever on Shapiro and going along the same party for the Senate seat. But to me, it's so obvious that this is just no normal pick. This is no moderate. This is no Pat Toomey. This is no Casey. You will know the difference. This six-foot, six-inch, clearly suffering individual who has no business running for office, when you open up a debate and say, hello, good night, Right away, to me, you said goodbye to your chances. But you are asking people to not be lazy and to pay attention and split a ticket. Now, I have nothing against Mastriano. I think he's a fringe candidate, though, who appeals to the Trump voter. And Trump did not win Pennsylvania. And I think you have to to find a way to appeal to moderates. I think there's a few things going on, too, with other races that I find noteworthy. Joe O'Day has done the impossible. He has alienated uh, Trump, and he has alienated Mitch McConnell to agree in Colorado. And I don't think that wins you seats, although he's still in contention against Michael Bennett in, in Colorado. Maggie Hassan was vulnerable. Don Bolduc, the lieutenant general, the brigadier general, and, he, and she debated last night. Now, Don Bolduc has not gotten the support of Donald Trump and got his um, anger up when he said quickly he didn't win the election. I don't have any problem with that. If you want to win in New Hampshire, you don't say that Donald Trump won the election. It's just not going to get you the seat. So here's a little of their exchange last night. Cut five. I don't lay all the blame on Democrats. I say this is a Republican and a Democrat problem, which my opponent refuses to recognize. I'm going down there to represent Grant of Staters who are hurting. And they're hurting because both parties are extreme. Both parties can't come together for the economy out-of-control spending and the safety and security of this nation. Here's some of the sparring between Hassan and Baldick. Cut six. A law that would give people tax breaks for making energy-efficient investments in their homes right now. Don Baldick opposes that, too. She has not done the right thing for spending $5.2 trillion more trillion from March to August. Stop any additional spending until we got inflation under control. She voted no for that. You know, he's uh, dramatically underfinanced, but he's got energy of a, of a whole battalion. I think that he would do a good job. Uh, other people, uh, Republicans, think he's uh, too conservative. I don't. I would love to see a military guy in there. And every time I've talked to him, he's been remarkably clear and direct, and he knows what he's doing and willing to admit when he doesn't. And I thought that was a good answer before. I blame both sides. To say just one side has spent too much is just wrong. Someone's got to have the guts to go into non-discretionary spending and say, we got to take this apart. Not so much to rob everyone, but just to uh, get our f- fiscal house in order for the next generation. So John Fetterman's trying to heal uh, the wounds he opened up when he revealed his medical condition, not by showing his records, but by revealing his performance. The guy doesn't campaign. The guy doesn't give interviews. 
He gave out one. He needs closed captioning. You know all about that. Fetterman was trying to explain himself yesterday. Cut one. All of our doctors believe that we are absolutely ready to be fit to, to be serving. And, and you know, one of the things we always remind everybody is that by January, I would be much, much better. But Oz will still be a fraud. He's not a fraud. I mean, come on. You heard Geraldo Rivera say he helped save the life of a loved one. The guy's an elite surgeon who actually was a guest on Oprah who ended up with his own syndicated show. Tell me where the fraud is. You don't like some of the segments he did? All right. Good luck with that. Maybe you don't like some Dr. Phil did. Maybe you don't like Kelly and Ryan. But he was a syndicated talk show host. Not everyone can spend their life in their parents' basement as lieutenant governor and a part-time mayor. Some people have to earn a living, and some people are successful and end up with 12 homes. Here's Dr. Oz. Then I'll take a break to get ready for Lee Zeldin. Cut three. My issue at the debate was to get John Fetterman to, was to defend his dangerous policies, but he couldn't do them. We talked about fracking, which, by the way, he's called the stain on Pennsylvania. He wanted a moratorium on it. He said, I'm going to quote him. This is what the, the folks who are moderating the debate asked him. I don't support fracking at all, he said. I never have. That was just a few years ago. And yet, in the debate, he kept saying, oh, I've always been for fracking. He wouldn't t- discuss some of the things he said about criminal justice issues, in particular his desire to free as many murderers as possible. So that's it. And what I think Dr. Oz has brought up in interviews, do you think he's okay? It's like, listen, I've had stroke victims before. He doesn't seem okay. But he didn't spend any time talking about his horrible performance of the guy, six foot seven guy sitting right across from him. He focused on his radical views. The guy's not a moderate. Just think Bernie Sanders. If you're in Pennsylvania and you want Bernie Sanders as your senator, vote for Fetterman. Stroke and all. But to me, it's kind of an insult. You can do that job as senator suffering extreme ramifications from a stroke. I thought you need all your faculties. I really did. He's not ready. They should have put in Connor Lamb. That would have been an interesting, real interesting, substantive debate uh, or fight. When we come back, Lee Zeldin joins us. He might be on the precipice of pulling off the biggest upset in politics and becoming the first Republican governor in 20 years in New York and possibly save the city. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lee Zeldin next. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The first day that I'm in office, I'm going to declare a crime emergency and suspend Castle's bail and these other pro-criminal laws because there is a crime emergency. My opponent thinks that right now there's a polio emergency going on, but there's not a crime emergency. Different priorities that I'm hearing from people right now, they're not being represented. From this this governor, who still, to this moment, we're at, what, we're halfway through the debate, she still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. Anyone who commits a crime... Under our laws, especially with the change we made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important to you. All I know is that we could do more. That is Governor Hochul. I don't know why that's so important to you about crime. Did you guys read the paper today? Well, also one paper, the New York Post, has endorsed Lee Zeldin as governor of New York. Congressman Lee Zeldin joins us now. Lee, that was the moment the people are talking about. Yeah, I mean, when she's saying that she doesn't understand why this is so important to me, the New Yorker who's out there listening is saying that maybe she doesn't care why this is so important to them. And for a lot of New Yorkers, crime is right up there at the top of the list. And in order to fight crime, if you commit a crime, 
you should be prosecuted. You owe a debt to society. We need DAs actually enforcing the law. That's been a whole other issue with Bragg and, and some of the, uh, the other district attorneys. So we go through question after question after question about crime, and she still had not spoken about the need to prosecute the bad guys. So and, I pointed out, yeah. and she comes after me. And, and basically she says, because you want to get rid of uh, Alvin Bragg, you want to undo another election. What's your reaction to that? The Constitution of New York says that the governor has the authority to remove a DA who refuses to enforce the law. We do not have recall elections in New York. I would argue that the framers of the New York State Constitution gave a constitutional authority and a constitutional duty to the governor to do this to keep the people of New York safe. So she's, she's failing to do her job by not weighing in when you have a DA refusing to enforce the law. When Jose Alba was sitting there with an open stab wound slapped with a murder charge uh, from Bragg, sitting there in Rikers Island, Kathy Hochul says it was a local matter she's not going to get involved. You know, there was this other guy who got knocked into a coma in the Bronx. His name was Jesus Cortez, caught on video. You guys covered it. It was a national story. And the NYPD charged an attempted murderer. The Bronx district attorney in that case then reduced it to misdemeanor assault and harassment. And under New York's Castle's bail law, the guy who knocked him into a coma, put a, a glove on, not like a regular glove. This glove was a weapon with like steel in it. Knocks this guy into a coma and he's walking the streets. You need DAs to be able to do their jobs. The governor saying that you can't weigh in mm-hmm. at all to keep the people of New York safe uh, is is something that is a dereliction of, of her duty, a dereliction of – it would be a dereliction of my duty if I wasn't doing it. And that's why I've committed the first act, the first day that I'm in office, is telling the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg that he's being removed. So right now you have four, about 4,000 New York City police officers are going to be quitting this projected – already almost 3,000 by the end of the year. Uh, crime is up. 30, over 30 percent across the board in New York City, but yet she still wants to talk about abortion. Are you surprised? It's a massive mistake. I mean, she's running a terrible campaign while we're we're running a campaign that we're very proud of and we're, we're working hard. She's following this Rose Garden strategy, but part of her campaign strategy is not to talk to voters about the issues that matter most to them. I don't know what kind of a consultant actually gets paid to, to tell their client, hey, you know what we should do? We should talk about everything other than what people care most about. And it, listen, if you if there's a point that you want to make on one of these other issues that are important to you, I care a lot about vets. I'm serving my 20th year in the Army. I was, I'm a vet myself. I love to talk about these issues. But just because I want to talk about that issue doesn't mean I'm just not going to talk about crime and the economy and the attacks on freedom or the quality of our kids' education. You know what else happened at the debate the other night? She was asked about her COVID vaccine mandate targeting healthcare workers. She said she would do it all over again. She was asked about a COVID vaccine mandate for her for the kids. She would only commit to not doing it that day. She didn't say anything about being willing to commit to not doing it in the future. I and mean, we have congestion pricing, which is something that not only people in the New York City area are paying attention to, but other people who live in, in blue cities elsewhere around the country it didn't work in London. It wouldn't work here. People who are already paying for gas and tolls and parking, now you want to reach into our pockets even further? You want to punish me? Uh, If you want me to ride the subway, if you want me to ride public transportation, how about you make it safe? When I can wake up and not have to look at the videos of people being pushed in front of an oncoming subway car and and the crimes that get committed now, what appears to be daily – Then you'll have people who will say, you know what, I'll ride the subway instead of driving the car. So one issue to the next, from the economic to education to freedom, but 
what I'm hearing first and foremost, it's the crime and public safety message, which she has abandoned, and she wants to lecture us. She wants to tell us that we should just look away. There's nothing to see here. 26 people have been pushed through uh, on, onto the subway tracks uh, so far in 2022. We got our 26 on Monday uh, on the Upper East Side. So the, the New York Post has endorsed you, says you're the pick to straighten out New York. A lot of people have come up to you. I was with you at the Al Smith dinner and basically pleading with you to win. Um, do you Right now, Quinnipiac has you four points down. Am I to believe Quinnipiac? Are you closer? Well, it is closer. The, in the Quinnipiac poll, uh, in all fairness to them, you know, now is done pre-debate. Uh, we haven't seen a new debate post uh, a new new poll after the debate where the actual poll was done afterwards but from the feedback that we have gotten the the energy that's out there people who are just stepping up in the biggest of ways all throughout the entire state and to the point you just said i hear it all day uh, and i hear it come comes a couple different ways one is that they're a lifelong democrat they've always voted democrat but this year they're voting for me and then other people telling me lee if you don't win i'm leaving it, this is a personal election for New Yorkers. This isn't just some election and you want to be a good American, so you're going to participate in a process. No, this is about whether or not an American dream continues to be a New York dream. And for voters who are out there, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. This is about you. This is about your family. This is about your, your right. safety, about being able to afford to survive here. So it's, it's next-level passion that's coming out. Congressman Lee Zeldin with us. Congressman, what was it like behind the scenes and afterwards when you had real moments without the cameras? Did you have any? At the uh, debate the other night? Yes. Yeah, so before the debate started, uh, you know, I was already on stage at the podium uh, when Hochul came out. Uh, we exchanged a, a handshake, and, and that was it. And then after the debate was over, we exchanged another handshake and went our, our, our separate ways. Uh, you know, I've run races in the past. I'm in my fourth term in Congress. And and oftentimes, the person I'm running against, it, you know, you're able to, you know, have conversation. You're able to, yeah. you know, like really engage. But it, you know, Hochul's just not that kind of a person. That's what I'm getting. You, we were sitting uh, in the row behind of the Al Smith dinner at the dais, and she was in front. She didn't even turn around. She knew exactly where you were. Um, thanks, Congressman. Best of luck the rest of the way. I know one thing. Thanks, You're Brian. not going to be outworked. Congressman Lee Zeldin, thank you. Dan Patrick next. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. No, the border is not secure. When you have 1.7 million individuals last year and another 2.7, that's over 4.5 million individuals encounter at the border. Plus, the if you add the getaways, that's going to be over 5 million individuals in just two years. No, the border is secure. It's not secured, and we got to make sure that we have repercussions. And the repercussions were Henry Cuellar speaking out against his party, not trying to get the Democrat, Democratic president's attention that the border's falling apart. Mayorkas told Cuellar that the left-wing activist immigration people have gotten to the president. And meanwhile, we're paying the price. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick joins us now uh, from Texas. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor, great to hear from you. Hey, Brian, always great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Can you describe the difference between the border that Trump left as opposed to the one we have 18 months later? Sure. Uh, Number one, September of 2020, uh, we apprehended about 50,000 people crossing the border. September, 
2022, we apprehended over 230,000 people, almost five times as many. In the president's uh, four years, President Trump, we apprehended on average somewhere in the neighborhood of 400,000 a year. It went down his last year dramatically once he began building the wall and was able to finally get the money to do so. Remember, the Democrats did everything they could to stop him and in the courts and, and in, the, in the Congress. And once he started building the wall and once he uh, uh, put in place the remain in Mexico policy, things tr- changed dramatically, and the border had never been more secure right. than in the last year of Trump's uh, term in office. And now, Brian, we're facing, and I heard that clip as, as we came into the show, we're facing, and, and I always remind everybody, when they say we apprehended, so they apprehended 250,000 in September this year, almost 230,000, uh, that means at least if you talk to any law enforcement officer, Brian, anybody, Border Patrol, our sheriffs, DPS, our National Guard, they will tell you that for every one we apprehend, another two or three get in we never see. Uh, that doesn't count the gotaways. We see the gotaways. We just can't catch them. We see them on our cameras. We have thousands of cameras on the border. And, Brian, I was in Atlanta uh, this summer giving a speech on the border, and I said to the folks, I said, we're sitting here in Atlanta. Does everyone know where Portland, Maine is? And, of course, they raised their hand. I said, at least you know where Maine is, right? I said it's 1,150 miles away approximately from Atlanta to Maine. The border between Texas and Mexico is further than Atlanta to Maine. It's 1,253 or 54 miles. That's what we have to cover. And that's when I say, and law enforcement says, if we apprehend X number of people, mm-hmm. count on two or three getting through that we never see, because we can't cover 1,254 miles, every inch of it. So, uh, and I, so, right. so it's millions, Brian, millions under this first term of Biden, millions. It'll be 10 million or more in his first term, or 12 million. We're talking to Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Dan, as you know, Remain in Mexico worked, and the Mexicans yeah. were cooperating. And we said, listen, if you don't shut down your southern border, you're going to get tariffed. And they started putting 20,000 yeah. Marines on yeah. their southern border. And then we told people you're not going to get in. And then that helps stem the tide to prove it worked. They have now have a remain in Mexico policy for Venezuelans. Already you're seeing a change, right? Yes. Yes. The the remain in Mexico was brilliant. I I was uh, with the. Uh, one of the cabinet members, I'll leave the name un, unsaid at this point, uh, they didn't give me permission to say, but one of the cabinet members I was introducing in an event not long ago in Dallas, and we were sitting next to each other. I said, so give me the skinny on how all that happened. I think I know because I've, I've got a great relationship with the president, but but uh, we hadn't talked about it explicitly. And he said it was simple. The president sent me down to Mexico. Talk, I went to talk to the president and said, look, we're going to hammer you <laughs> uh, economically. We're going to put tariffs on everything if you don't if you don't pay attention and help us. And that's what got it done. Look, the President Trump, what what makes him unique, Brian, if you think about all the presidents we've had, all of them, and look, I'm a big Ronald Reagan fan. We all love Reagan as Republicans. But we've never had a real hard-knuckled businessman as president. And you're running a country. And when you run a country, you've got to have someone who knows how to manage people, manage money, manage crisis, and knows how to get things done. And that's what really set him apart. No nonsense. Tough negotiator. Get up and walk away from the table if you don't get what you want. That's what set him apart, and that's why he was so successful, and that's why he was draining the swamp, and that's why they hated it. And by the way, you said, what else is different? He was building the wall. We would have several hundred miles of wall built on the border right now if Trump were still president. What Biden do? He's tearing it down. 
We have steel that the federal government has paid millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for just lying there rusting away. We offered to buy it. We offered to take it off their hands. So now we're spending, Brian, of our taxpayer money, $4.5 billion a year on border security. We normally spend about $400 million. Put that in perspective, Brian, the entire budget for Oklahoma is around 6 to $7 billion. We're spending $4.5 billion for oh, National yeah. Guard, uh, building the wall, building the fence. We're building it ourselves. We've got about 100 miles of uh, fence, barbed wire, concertina wire, and several miles of wall. And uh, we're going to have to do it uh, if we don't get Biden out of office. What about what about years. what do you think? Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis have made the rest of the country pay attention. You guys yeah. did it first in Washington, yep. then New York, then Chicago, and soon I hope Delaware. And let everyone know yep. this is not uh, this is not just our problem; it's an American problem. Making people yep. pay attention. It is now one of the top issues in this election. Here's what I worry about, Dan. If the if the Democratic administration doesn't get a message in this election, the worst is yet to come. They need a massive rebuke. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, if you if you get away with bad policy, uh, if you get away with destroying America, which they've done since Biden took office and you don't pay for it at the ballot box. If, the, if we don't take back the U.S. Senate, don't take back U.S. Congress and win some of these governor races and uh, important races around the country, then they'll only get worse. And you think, how worse can it get? Oh, a lot worse. And, and so uh, they have to pay that price. And I think that's why America will stand up and we will see uh, significant wins in a number of states. I'm very hopeful they can make, take back the, the U.S. Senate. I know there are a couple of close races. Look, we have our, our own race here in Texas. Uh, Governor Abbott's on the ballot. I'm on the ballot. Uh, Ken Paxton, our attorney general, is on the ballot, uh, as well as our other statewide and a lot of congressional races. Uh, and, and you know, we're, we're, we have a battle on our hands. Uh, they're pouring hundreds of millions of dollars in from, from out of state or dark money packs that you don't know who's funding it. They're coming after Texas because Texas, Brian, is the last hope for America. And we're the last target for the Democrats. You know, for people around the country who have never done the math, if, if the Democrats run Texas, you never win the White House again, ever. Dan, it's a one-party country. Because I agree, but you, you have an, about an eight-point real clear yeah. average lead right now. Yeah. Uh, how, how is Beto O'Rourke so yeah. close? Um, well, you know, he has, a, he has about $80 million to $100 million to spend. That's significant. You can persuade a lot of people uh, with that kind of money. There's a dark money group that has spent 20 to $25 million on their own attacking the governor, myself, and the uh, attorney general. Um, so a lot of money to spend. And look, Brian, we're realistic. Um, uh, we had a grid. We, we had a grid issue. Um, uh, we had the shooting at Uvalde. Uh, you have some other issues where, where they want to attack you on. Now, look, uh, we've done everything we can to improve the grid since that time. We were not responsible for its failure. Um, and we reacted. I, I immediately came in and got rid of every person on the ERCOT board that ran our grid and the Public Utilities Commission. Uh, and uh, so those are things they attack us on. They can't attack us on our economy uh, because it's the strongest in the country. We're creating more jobs than anyone. A thousand people, Brian, a day move here. Uh, but they they found some things to attack us on unfairly. Uh, but um, but I understand that that's right. that's part of politics. I just finished Brian yesterday, a 130 city, 17 day tour around rural Texas, and 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 I was down in the valley a few weeks ago on my bus tour, and I can tell you we're going to do better with Hispanic voters than we've ever done before. We've got great candidates running for Congress down there, the Texas Senate, 
uh, judge positions, local positions. We're going to do really well in the Valley. The Democrats, Brian, are shoving Hispanic voters out of their party, like Obama did. If you think, Brian, I'll do this real quick in 60 seconds. Think about America. If you look at the map, Ohio, all red except Cleveland, Cincinnati. Pennsylvania, all red except Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. North Carolina, all red except Raleigh and Charlotte. Georgia, all red except Atlanta, and and I think it's Savannah. Uh, And then Texas is all red except Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, and El Paso. The country has now – and all those counties used to be conservative Democrats, Brian, 20 years ago – Obama ran them all out, the same conservatives. They're now Republicans. It's, it's rural Texas, rural America that will save uh, our state, save our country. That's where our votes are, um, and uh, we've just gotten such a great response. I mean we have a lot of voters in our big cities too. My point is uh, they're run by Democrats in our biggest cities in the country, and that's where all the crime is. That's where all the, the terrible policies are. That's where high taxes are. And we're not going to let Beto O'Rourke take what's happening in the cities and, and extend it to the whole state because that's what he would do as governor. We're going to be yeah. – And, Dan, my, my have this theory that yes. the only thing that would get the Democrats to crack down on the border if they started losing the Hispanic vote, then they realize it's against their interest. If the real reason is they think Hispanic votes mean dominating elections and dominating states like yours, that, yes. that, that ship is sailing, and this could be the biggest yes. rebuke yet. If, it's, if that's yeah. the only thing we need to get both parties to understand our secure borders in our national interest, do you think that there's something to that? Absolutely. Look, Brian, they've been saying for years, two things have been said. Well, Texas will eventually be blue one day because of the Hispanic vote. And Republicans have been saying, and I've said this for years, look, when you, if I walk into a room, Brian, of, a, of 100 Hispanic voters who have always voted Democrat, and I tell them I'm pro-life – I'm pro-Second Amendment. I want smaller government. I want a great educational opportunities. I want less taxes. I want less regulations. Um, I believe in God. I believe in country. I walk out of that room, Brian. I walk out of that room with 2025 votes. You send a Democrat into a room of 100 Hispanic voters who have always been Republican, and you tell them, no, we believe in abortion all the way up through birth. We want to raise your taxes. We want to kill the oil and gas industry. We want an open border, and we're going to take your guns away. That Democrat doesn't get one vote. So what's happened is they are out of the, – the Democrats now, they're not hiding who they are anymore. They're progressive left socialist party. They're not hiding who they are, and Hispanics are waking up to it and saying, that's not who we are. We've always said that the Republican values match up with the Hispanic values, and no one's done a better job of proving that and showing that than the, the Democrats themselves. Understood. Uh, best of luck, uh, Dan, Lieutenant uh, Governor Dan Patrick. Uh, we appreciate yes, it of Texas. It's going to be a sprint to the finish, and there's so much at stake. Dan, thank We're you. Work hard. I want every Texas voter to get out. Every Republican everywhere. Don't take the election for granted. It's all about a turnout. And the same thing in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Georgia, all these states. Every Republican needs to vote to win. We got to take our army and beat their army. It's that simple. Go get them, Dan Patrick. Thanks so thanks. much. When we come back, I'll finish up with your calls. And don't forget, One Nation Saturday at eight o'clock, repeated at eleven, only on the Fox News Channel. Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Kilmeade's New York Times bestseller, The President and the Freedom Fighter, is now out in paperback and has a brand new afterword. Go pick it up today, wherever books are sold. More of Kilmeade coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
was also Kamala's birthday. And happy birthday, a great president. Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. And you're elected the highest ranking black Indian with Indian background woman in American history to be vice president, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, seven hundred million dollar, billion dollars off the sidelines and investment. It's passed. I got it passed by a vote or two. John, thank you uh, for running. I really do appreciate it. And Zell, you're going to you're going to be a great lady in the Senate. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Wow. Well, let me respond with two words. Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> Hi. Good night, everybody. <laughs> this, is, this is like the gaptastic series of days. One had a stroke and the other one, he actually had, President Biden had two aneurysms. And that's part of the reason that, not, is he, he's 80, I almost said 90. 80 years old. This guy's failing. And, and yet you can't find any comedian who's going to take any of that and do what Johnny Carson did with Ronald Reagan, who was rumored to have memory problems. He used to make fun of him and they used to be friends. And yet... It used to be an equal opportunity, offensive thing at late night television, but no one could find any comedy there. Hard to believe. Frank, you're listening on Long Island. Hey, Frank. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Brian, I just had a question for you. Why is the president just stopping people from Venezuela entering the country? Is there a quick pro quo going on between them now? I mean, why isolate just them? Why aren't we blocking everybody? I yeah, think good. The president's got a secret deal going on. Well, Venezuela, he says Venezuela was surging, but that's something to think about. He's got some th- something going on. He wants to send these people back. I mean, by the time they get here, it's done. They're not going back to Venezuela. They'll go to Mexico or somewhere else. So I'm not sure there's a secret deal to benefit them. But there's so many Venezuelans coming. They thought, why don't we just stop them there? But what is it showing, Frank, that inhumane policy that Donald Trump, with the broken border that he claims to have inherited, worked. And if it didn't work, why would he be doing it again? Alex, listening in Mountain View, California. Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I just want to say uh, for the uh, American Rescue Plan Act of uh, 2021, Raphael Warnock uh, sponsored an amendment that pays off the USDA loans uh, of farmers. But in order for the farmer to get this payoff, he has to prove that he, doesn't, that he has non-European ancestry. If we want to help Herschel Walker, we need to uh, we need to uh, put this into the national discussion repeatedly. Remind voters that this discriminatory legislation was actually sponsored by Warnock, and that will they that just might swing the election and make sure that Herschel Walker wins. He's up by about one or two points. Alex, listen, WABC, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. You know, the only way the Democrats are going to stop this illegal immigration crisis is if they make make it worse to live in the United States than it is to live in in Mexico. So maybe (laughs) that's why they want the crime to go up. But here's the thing. You have 20 apprehended people that were on a terrorist watch list that came across this border. And then your previous guest that you just had on said that thousands of gotaways are seen on, on the cameras coming over the border. And the question is, who are the people that don't want free egg boxes, free laundry service, free housing and food? It's, it's overwhelmingly only the criminals. So that means we have thousands of illegals that are criminals that are getting away and are coming into this country. You could say whatever you, reason you want, that why we should allow the illegal immigrants in here, but we shouldn't be sacrificing our safety, our lives, and the lives of our children with having all these illegal immigrants, uh, these criminals coming in here. And the marijuana and the cocaine that's coming in through this border, we don't have to sacrifice our lives and the safety of our children. 
I hear you. Um, uh, it would be it would be great to see. To me, the, guarding the border and enforcing the border would be something that every president would do, at, like like waking up in the morning. For this president to give that up, to give up our basically our security. Remember, ninety eight known terrorists have been captured coming through. You know how many probably got through already. For him to be able to do that with impunity. And until the governor started shipping illegals across the country, nobody seemed to care except Fox and you guys and our show and every show on, on Fox News Radio. Besides us, now people have been alerted to it and understand its reality. Now people seem to care. Uh, to me, is not for impeachment, but it's, it should eliminate him from any type of serious consideration for re-election. Listen, uh, coming up this weekend, thanks for all your calls. I got the One Nation show which airs at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Also, join me in Rochester, New York, Saturday, uh, coming up at 6 o'clock at Barnes & Noble. Please be there. Go to briankilmead.com. See where else I'll be on tour, including next week on Scranton and my live shows in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Brandon, Mississippi, as well as Newark, New Jersey. You go to these stage shows. It'll be like no other event. It's truly all red, white, and blue. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.